Hello and welcome to Stuck in the 90s. We are your weekly nostalgia podcast chronicling the years 1990 through 1999. We are your hosts. My name is Chris Alfick. And I'm Connor Thompson. This week we are bringing you episode 4 in season 2. What weeks are we doing? One week. What week is that? January 22nd through 28th. What year? 1994. (laughs) Alright, let's jump in. Uh, January 22nd. Did cultures clash over Schindler's? When a group of Oakland High School students went on a Martin Luther King Jr. holiday field trip to see Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List, their teachers hoped they'd learn about hatred and compassion. Instead, these 69 students were evicted from the theater because some of them laughed and talked while Holocaust horrors were screened. Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. The incident has set off heated debates across the Bay Area from classrooms to radio talk shows. Although perspectives of what happened in the theater last Monday differ wildly, most agree that these teenagers knew too little about the Holocaust and too much about violence. But at least they weren't making out. You were making out during Schindler's List? (laughs) Oh, we got heated during the previews, and then the next thing we knew, the war was over. Like, we're 40 seconds in, already had a Seinfeld reference. Yeah, that's, that's a good stride. Yep. Let's uh, see what was happening the next day, which is January 23rd. CBS, which has broadcast the National Football League games since uh, 1956, broadcasts its final telecast with the Dallas Cowboys defeating the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game 38-21. CBS had been outbid during December 1993 for rights to the NFC package by Fox. CBS, however, would regain NFL rights, taking over the AFC rights from NBC in 1998. It's a lot of letters. January 24th, more letters. R-rated scene gets Woody recalled. This is out of Charleston, West Virginia. A disgruntled employee added part of an R-rated movie about a prostitute to the end of at least 500 copies of a Woody Woodpecker video, forcing 20,000 of them to be recalled. Uh, UAV Corp of Fort Mills, South Carolina, uh, recalled copies of the 30-minute tape Woody Woodpecker and Friends, number 3015, (laughs) last month after complaints, company president Jerry Pettis said. The video production worker, who has been fired, added a suggestive two-minute scene from the 1991 movie, I Shit You Not. And we're back. Oh, fuck us. So, what happened there uh, was my laptop died because I'm an idiot and forgot to plug it in. So but it died very, very, right after the word whore. Like, it went peacefully, though. Yeah, because went it, peacefully into the night. Yeah, when plugged back in, everything was saved, I think. Oh, uh, let's hope so. If not, then, uh... This we'll... episode is fucked. Yeah. If not, January 22nd through 28th, uh, bad things happened during a screening of Schindler's List, CBS lost broadcast rights to the NFC, and Woody Woodpecker had uh, some weird scenes from a movie called Horror edited into it. Speaking of peckers. January 25th, U.S. President Bill Clinton delivers his first State of the Union address, calling for healthcare reform, a ban on assault weapons, and welfare reform, and probably no parallels with any Batman villains. To be fair, though, we have no idea what his inaugural address contained. Could have been anything. It mm-hmm. was a whole year. It was a whole year prior, and we're not doing that level of research. Nope. Also today, Quayle gives speech on family values. Former Vice President Dan Quayle spoke of family values to about three thousand religious conservatives, while one thousand protesters outside called for tolerance and an end to bigotry. Quayle criticized rap music and repeated his complaint that TV's Murphy Brown glorified single mothers. Because that's apparently a bad thing if you're Dan Quayle. 
Quail is a collective name for several genre of mid-sized birds generally placed in the order of galliforms. Just FYI. Okay. January 26th. Here are some 1990s sentences. The Sandlot was released on home video today. Coneheads is now available to own on VHS and Laserdisc. Laserdisc. Also, The Last Action Hero came out on VHS. I read that book. What book? The Last Action Hero. I'm pretty sure they made it from a movie into a book. They, oh, that wasn't a very good movie, so... And it wasn't a very good book. Yeah. Also... Magic ticket. Come on. <laughs> fuck off. Um, Babylon 5 began airing today, but no one watched it. I didn't... Like, I love Star Trek. I love Star Wars. I love Battlestar Galactica. Me too. Never seen an episode of Babylon Not 5. Not a single one. Uh, also on this date, U.S. urged to bar narcotic lollipop for children. I really hope you haven't read any of this. I haven't urged... Good. A group of doctors asked the government today to block final approval of a narcotic lollipop intended to calm children before surgery. Doctors sometimes have trouble getting frightened children to calm down before surgery, and so inject them with tranquilizers or opiates. Searching for a less painful way to calm children, a group of pediatricians from Utah came up with the idea of a lollipop loaded with fentanyl, a potent opiate. (laughs) Holy fuck! A fentanyl lollipop? I didn't expect that out of Utah. Wow! That, was, that is incredible. That that was, I think it eventually did become a thing. I am so impressed right now. <laughs> I've invented a lollipop that's, for kids. That's fucked. It's, it's pretty fucked up. Hey, you know what's less fucked up though? On January 27th, Philip Morris's profits plunge. Philip Morris tallied the damage from the year of cigarette price wars and confirmed the battle's heavy toll on its earnings, but expressed optimism about its chances for a rebound. The New York-based tobacco and food conglomerate, which makes Marlboro cigarettes, Velveeta cheese products, Oscar Mayer meats, and Miller beer, said its profits tumbled 71.7% in the fourth quarter and 37.4% for the year in total. Philip Morris owns a lot of shit. Philip Morris can fuck off. They own craft. I know. Isn't that messed up? fucked. I mean... Like, I like, I like KD, but like, it's man. A, it's a staple food here. It is, but like, fucking tobacco? We're eh. swearing a lot. This is an angry episode. Yeah. January. We're, we're okay. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, reel, we'll reel it in. Try. January 28th. Doctor charged with taking $53 from a fucking corpse. You just said we were going to tone down the swearing. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Good, good try. San Antonio. A doctor who performed autopsies at the county morgue has been charged with stealing 53 whole dollars from a corpse. A grand jury indictment issued Wednesday accused Dr. Thomas Haas, a forensic pathologist, of taking the cash from a body of a drowning victim in November. The doctor quit his job the same month, presumably to retire on his newfound treasure. Oh yeah, he skipped town with that 53 bucks. Yeah, for sure. Well, he caught a bus ticket. Yeah, yeah he could probably, get, uh, could probably get all the way from San Antonio to... I don't know, Vegas, Louisiana, maybe? This week in news was pretty messed up. Oh, yeah. It really was. Oh, man. So uh, let's end the week by looking at movies. Okay. Yeah, so in the box office, we've already talked about all of these movies before. Oh, yeah, Mrs. So, Fire, Grumpy Old Men. Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to give you some fun details about Beethoven's second. So obviously, we all remember Beethoven. He's the lovable St. Bernard. Beethoven's second was the sequel probably easily arguably the last good movie in the series the last watchable one yeah also good naming scheme i mean going along with the whole beethoven, beethoven second thing. pretty great it's a it's a it's a freebie it's but a, yeah, movies have movies have definitely passed by their freebies i don't know if i've mentioned this before but now you see me too they had a freebie with now you now don't you, yeah and they fucked it up they sure did 
Uh, so this one grossed 53 and a half, almost 53 and a half million domestically. It's an hour and a half. That's a fun time for a family movie. Yeah. Uh, we want to talk just a little bit about some trivia because there's actually a couple fun little points in here. So first off, this movie was nominated for an Oscar. What? It was nominated for an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and a Grammy, all for Best Original Song, and it was called The Day I Fall in Love. That's fun. Who? Who? Did it, does it say who recorded it? Um, you know what? You keep going. I'll, I'll see if I can look that up. Okay, you do that part. Uh, so, fun fact about this movie, it was actually the feature film debut of Danny Masterson, best known as Hyde from that 70s show. And the best part about this whole movie is the following hilarious tidbit so christopher masterson had a small role in the film however his older brother danny had a leading role the two were not playing brothers in the movie so neither one of them mentioned to anyone on the production crew uh, that they were related so when producers finished the movie and went to watch the film in its entirety for the first time they noticed the resemblance and reshot all of chris's scenes with another actor so because his brother Danny had the leading role, obviously the better role, the one that helped propel him to stardom, he got entirely cut. That's really That is brutal. Fucked. I mean, you got paid, but like, man, how much would it suck? Especially if you're not told. You take all your friends, you show up on like opening day because you're probably not going to the premiere. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, here I come. Who's that guy? You're out. Yeah. Sorry, bud. Oh my God. Uh, also, The Day I Fall in Love from Beethoven Second, performed by James Ingram and Dolly Parton. Hey, okay. Yeah, that's a thing. That is a thing. Let's jump onto the billboard. Yeah, what have we got? We're doing our uh, top, well, we're doing the top albums of this week in 1994. At number one, we have Music Box by Mariah Carey, possibly containing good songs. I mean, this was, this was a good point for Mariah Carey, I think. Fair enough. Uh, two, we have Verses by Pearl Jam. None of that matters. Because at number three, our boy, fan of the podcast, likely future sponsor, and best friend, Michael Bolton with The One Thing. Yeah, that's a thing. That but, is a one thing. That is one thing. But actually, none of these matter because number four is Doggy Style by Snoop Doggy Dog. Oh, yeah. That Great is album. Classic. And rounding out the top five, we've got Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell by Meatloaf. This might be the one that has um, I Would Do Anything for Love on it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I thought so. Jury is still out on what that is. Uh, at number six, we've got Janet by Janet Jackson. Uh, Janet with a purposeful lowercase j. And a period at the end. Yeah, very. that's actually more stylized than I expected for 1994. Right? Uh, seven is So Far So Good, Brian Adams. Uh, eight, we get Diary of a Mad Band by Joe Decky. That's a pretty great album title. Diary of a Mad Band. I like that. That's yeah. amusing. That's good. That's good. Whether or not any of the content on it is, I don't know. Uh, nine is The Greatest Hits Volume 2 by Reba McIntyre. Not a fan. Didn't like her show either. I tried to give it a chance because yeah. one of her daughters was a uh, series regular on Star Trek. Okay. Uh, Star Trek Voyager. Yep. That's true. Um, but no, it wasn't good. No. And rounding out the top ten, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers Greatest Hits. A lot of the greatest hits on this. Yeah. And by a lot, I mean two. Yeah. Two as many. Two is a number larger than one. This is now a simple math podcast. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I'm fine with leaving it there. Oh, at album 23 and oh, moving yeah. up, The Sign by Ace of Base. Nice. That's, I love Ace of Base. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good place to end it. Yeah. Very positive note. Now we're going to get into some 90s news now. Oh, goddamn. Okay. 
Okay. I'm just going to say this. Yeah, we, haven't, we haven't talked about Power Rangers for a while, so I think we've allotted ourselves a bit of time. And just so you guys know, we avoid talking about podcast stuff beyond just mentioning topics to each other to save the legitimate, honest conversations for you. Yeah, I'm interested to see where this is going. Power Rangers 2 trailer. What did you think? Oh, God. You didn't like I, it? No, no, I'm super concerned. Really? None of I'm... them seem like they can act. Have you watched the actual Power Rangers? I know, but I was also six, and that was fine. Okay, there are okay, some points so there. Bill, but... or, sorry, Bill Hader's Alpha 5, I am excited. I'm, uh, yeah, I, that's rebounded Cautiously a bit. That was my excited. most worried. I was very worried about that. Zordon looks super cool. I mean... I like it. Brian Cranston's narration pretty much carried the trailer, and yeah. I think that's what made me really like it. And like he Zordon delivered a solid monologue, and yeah, visually, that is the first thing great. I don't hate about the movie. Yeah. Um, I'm not digging the putties. I've nope. never really been uh. digging the costumes. Haven't really been a fan of the Zords. I can stylistic choices aside, I can still potentially forgive the film. I do not I like, like Zordon. Though. I do not like the at least what we've heard so far of Elizabeth Banks overplayed Rita. I mean Rita's meant to be very overacted, so we'll see. She I, is, but the I I don't know. Maybe I'm just a fanboy of the original <laughs> Rita Repulsa and that's it, but the whole Power Rangers. Like it just sounds so far-fetched time time will tell yeah i mean this trailer really rebounded things for me i was getting super worried and i felt good after seeing this i felt like i felt happy and it tapped into like tapped into my nostalgia sap thing and is collecting the maple syrup of excitement wow that is a very visual statement my concern i want to go to like a sugar bush this year right my concern is that I, I finished the trailer more worried than excited. That was the first trailer for me. This one, I mean, there's still not things I'm happy with, but I am... I'm excited. I am not... I am cautious. I am not optimistic. I am mostly just cautious. Okay. Um, and if you guys haven't checked out the Power Rangers trailer, check it out. Let us know what you think on our Facebook. Shoot us an email. It's definitely whatever. worth seeing. One way or another, I'm going to oh, go yeah. see this movie. Um, top Reddit comment I saw was, this This looks like the worst movie I'm going to see five times. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, there is some legitimacy to that. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into the 90s spotlight. So being real with you guys... This is Chris's. This is Chris's baby right now. It's a big one. So if you if you hate it, you know who to blame. Well, I was going like, if you like it, credit where credit is due. But sure, that's fine too. Hedge our, take let's hedge our bets. All right. So this week, we're going to talk about something that more or less ended in the 90s, but we think helped shape the course of television before the 90s and well into it, plus giving integral plot points to some of our favorite TV shows and movies from the 90s. And that topic is local television. How excited are you guys right now on a scale of one to <laughs> ten? I'm thinking solid two and a half. Local TV is not an inspiring topic, but I promise but it can be. this is a good one. Yeah. To be clear, we're not talking about cable access TV shows. This is different. Back in a time before large TV networks owned or really were affiliated with pretty much every TV station around, each station was in control of its own programming. Every station had to fill this time, and they filled it differently. Uh... To show a popular TV show, you know, something, let's say, like, I Love Lucy or Happy Days, you'd have to buy the syndication rights to be able to broadcast it. For some shows, it's probably made a lot of sense. If your TV station is showing Happy Days, people are going to watch it. 
For some shows, probably not, and for some stations, uh, it may not have been cost-effective. Many stations would create their own content to show locally, and if it was really popular, the rights for that show could be sold to other stations, and they could show it. Uh, This was popular in the early days of television, in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Prior to the 90s, there were basically three main TV networks in the U.S., ABC, NBC, and CBS. If you weren't owned or affiliated with one of the big three, you were an independent station. Content produced by uh, these stations could be anything you want, I mean within FCC regulations. Talk shows, variety shows, game shows, scripted comedies, scripted dramas, educational stuff, whatever you think is going to make people watch your station. And of course news and stuff. But this all started to change in the 80s when the Fox network came around. So many independents joined Fox and there were suddenly far fewer independent stations going into the 90s. By the time we get to our podcast time frame, uh, there were still some locally produced TV shows. So some examples that everyone would know tend to be from PBS. So PBS affiliates would still produce content uh, that would be broadcast across the country and Canada. And obviously the biggest one that I think we're all familiar with is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Oh, yeah. While shown on likely all PBS stations, it would be produced locally by PBS member WQED in Pittsburgh. Other PBS shows like Zoom, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, uh, Nova, and Masterpiece Theater were also made by local PBS affiliates, but then broadcast nationwide. Yeah, so it would just be produced by a local TV station. You'd roll, like, Fred Rogers would just roll into the station in in Pittsburgh and they'd make an episode. That's where all his sets were. That's where all the, that's where the trolley was. That's where the neighborhood, or the, the land of make-believe? Yeah, land of make-believe. Yeah, that's where the land of make-believe was located. And we actually, on our oh, way we down to Bonnaroo, we went, yeah. Yeah, we went to a museum that had that Mr. Rogers stuff. Yeah. That was neat. That was really cool. I forgot about that. Yeah. Now we had this too in Canada and there's still some independent stations such as CHCH out of Hamilton. I don't really think they have any locally produced content anymore besides news. Uh, but they did. Do you remember a show called The Hilarious House of Fright- Frightenstein? I do. You you remember that? Like, I know of it. I okay. think I've seen a rerun I've or two. seen it, yeah. yeah. Um, it was produced in the 70s, so everyone might not remember it. But it was syndicated both in Canada and internationally and was shown for a long time. Uh, I remember watching it in the mid-2000s. That yeah, might this be where is you when I would have seen it, too. It was on space at, like, 5 a.m. Yeah, we're talking, like, high school. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember seeing it. Also... Possibly popular Canadian program, The Red Green Show, started off on CHCH before moving to bigger networks like Global and finally the CBC. My girlfriend used to live down the street from Steve Smith, who is Red Green. What? Yeah, yeah. He's a Hamiltonian. Yeah, I I knew that, but like... Yeah, they used to live in his neighborhood. That's so crazy. Right? That's fucked. So now on to fictional stuff. Locally produced TV played a huge part in some of our favorite 90s television and movies and before we get into it think about it my favorite podcast favorite mrs doubtfire daniel hillard gets hired to do shipping and receiving for a local tv station a station that definitely is producing its own content and when he gets caught playing with dinosaur toys for a boring ass educational show the wheels are set in motion for what ends up being the mrs doubtfire show being produced this is a small TV station with the power to make its own stuff, and even if this movie were made, you know, five years later, we think it would have been written or set in a much different way for these events to actually unfold. Yeah, because, like, it would have had to, you know, 
accidentally do this with when some network executives were and not just the guy who runs the place and it would just have to be a whole lot more convoluted for for it to be believable yeah like the whole network pitch thing obviously Mm -hmm. we saw that process in seinfeld right yeah exactly even the whole the whole thing the fact that he works in the shipping department and you know is just next to the room where they're filming stuff is is much more plausible when you think of a local TV station, yeah. right? Yeah. Then there's also Home Improvement. Oh. Classic 90s sitcom. <gasps> Tim Allen as Tim Taylor was the host of a local TV show, Tool Time. I don't really think we have to go into much more detail over this. We all know how good Home Improvement was and how Tool Time was kind of perfect for the show. Um, this is another thing where I think if it was made in a different time frame beyond the 90s, uh, when local TV wasn't really feasible, the show would have been completely different Probably not as good, and maybe called Last Man Standing. Which is actually kind of decent, though. It's okay. It's it bad. is okay. But, I, but it's I, not home. It's different. Yeah. yeah. Like, the fact that he's making, like, web videos and stuff like that, it's not tool time. Yeah. So what happened to these stations? As we said, the Fox Network came around in the 80s, and many independents were lost to that. Then in the 90s, two new TV networks formed, being the WB Network and UPN, which are now collectively the CW. These networks took most remaining independent stations, and between those and the rise of cable, television was all but homogenized. With very few truly independent stations, and even less locally produced television stations remaining. And it kind of sucks, but that being said, now everyone across the world can watch Breaking Bad, or Game of Thrones, or Westworld. Have you watched Westworld? Watch Westworld. I know, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Watch... Watch fucking Stranger Things. I know. I I have to catch up. We've been doing a lot of weird coloring book stuff. we are stuck in the 90s, so... One more, one more point about this is that, and you bring it up here in your notes, so this is Chris's point. It's a very good one. It seems like this idea of locally produced content has not been lost, and it's resurfaced with YouTube. So anyone can go online and make a video, and if people watch it and they like it, it gets shared around the internet and becomes popular. So now not only are independent people making YouTube videos, like Tally and I make funny review videos, We've got almost 10,000 views on YouTube now. That's nutty. Who am I to be making a video? Nobody. But there are other people out there with millions, hundreds of millions of views who are just sitting in a room doing something funny or amusing or informative. And that's kind of the heart of what local TV was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like ending in the 90s, I think there was that idea that you could walk down to your local TV station with a good idea and maybe there was a chance afterwards i think the idea of trying to pitch to one of three or four major networks for a tv show that will probably never get picked up it's really daunting and then of course with youtube that idea is coming back that you as an individual can create content and have an impact on other people and obviously a big part of that is you know network sharing you can go put anything on the internet anything on youtube and as long as it's not you know heinously graphic It'll stay up there, so there's no no network fee necessarily. The equipment yeah. is not tens of thousands of dollars. You can get a good camera and microphone for a couple hundred bucks, get a lighting setup for a couple hundred bucks. You're probably cheaping out on all this. But, but that's a good starting We're talking point. like a thousand dollars or less can get you a, a pretty decent setup for yeah. making your own stuff, right? And that's the thing. You can you can get you can start small and build. And obviously even for this podcast, like we've got a hundred dollar microphone. And the editing software is free and we're putting out something that you're listening to right now. And, you know, 10, 15 years ago, this would have been a radio show that no one would have picked up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, 10, 15 years ago would be like, 
what you're stuck in stuck in two years ago oh god um time passes in a linear fashion speaking of time oh my god that's the best segue we've ever had (laughs) every week on the show we bring you a sponsor usually fictitious sometimes real this time is fictitious we've got to hone our craft for when big craft comes to give us money for plugging mac and cheese. I mean, after we just called out Philip Morris like that, I don't know if it's going to happen, but man, craft, pay us and pay us and craft dinner. We're down. Yeah, we're into it. So, this week, Stuck in the 90s is brought to you by the forgotten color of the 90s. Let's pause. Think about it. Do you know what we're about to say? You don't, but you're so excited cuz I am when Chris suggested Indiglo. Holy shit. Indiglo. Right in between the color spectrum of I don't know blue and violet and indiglo indigo we've got indiglo turquoisey yeah something kind of blue kind of green it really lit up your life in the 90s produced by the fucking timex corporation so this was the button on your old timex watch that made it glow in the dark that warm weird indigo color it's you know really what we're talking a, about it's really just a backlight for sure but it was so cool. Oh, man. The concept of a backlight in a watch in the 1990s was revolutionary to the point where they could call it Indiglow and we would eat it up and remember it fondly 20 years later. To the point where I'm immediately after this going to go on Amazon and see if I can buy one. Buy an Indiglow watch? Yeah. Yeah. We're almost shilling for Timex in this. Pretty much. Timex, yeah. if you're listening, sponsor the podcast. Timex. You can if you're pass listening. a neck and cheese. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I want to be paid. No. I mean, yeah. pay us some Timex watches. You know what? If Ooh. any other watch companies, like, I want to show some better watches. Like, some, can, we, can we get some wow. fossil we watches? we are already shitting on Timex. <laughs> Timex, you're out. Fossil, you're in. Fossil, we can talk. We can talk about your backlighting technology. I oh want a smart God. watch. Do you guys have Indiglo? Get at us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's, let's wrap this thing up. All right. So next week, we are doing January 29th to February 4th, 1996. We decided in advance um, just because. I don't know. Because the spinning wheel is not only 20 feet away and up five stairs, but also an additional 20 feet away and, and like down 15 like 15. Yeah, that's a lot yeah. of stairs, you guys. Yeah, you guys don't want to sit around for the, that. And this is not an exercise podcast. Mm-hmm. As always, you can find us online, stuckinthe90spodcast.com, facebook.com slash stuckinthe90spodcast, Twitter, S-I-T-90s, Instagram, stuckinthe90spodcast. You guys get the point. Send us an email at stuckinthe90spodcast at gmail.com. Maybe we'll check it. If you want to be a $10 sponsor, (laughs) we won't shit on you like Timex. We'll say good things. (laughs) Fuck you, Timex. Timex, you're okay. Just make something revolutionary like Indiglo again. Yeah, just give us Indiglo 2. Yeah, that's it. That's where the podcast ends. Yeah, all right. Guys, the podcast is is now over. I might take out some of the shitting on Indigo, but not all of it. I think you should keep every second of it.